0: Um, What I want to share with you right now is actually a letter. It was written by the Archbishop of the Anglican Church of Kenya. And he wrote it on Good Friday. It was published on Good Friday morning. And I thought, you know, in, in light of our victory celebration and why we're doing what we do, I want to share this with you all because Easter, Resurrection Sunday, is not just something we do here in America. It's something that Christians all over the world are celebrating. And sometimes there's a cost for what we believe. But this letter... I just wanted to share with you, and then I want to take a moment and pray for our brothers and sisters, um, not only in the Garissa area of Kenya, but all over the world, who are indeed worshiping in, a, in persecuted countries, or in countries where Christians are persecuted, uh, and yet they continue to to celebrate that victory that we're celebrating today. So just have a listen here. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, on this good Friday, we gather in our churches across Kenya in the shadow of a great and terrible evil. People who deal in death have slaughtered 147 people in Garissa, most of them students, and brought wrenching anguish to their families and a deep sadness to our nation. These young people died because they were Kenyans and they were Christians. This attack was calculated. It was a calculated manifestation of evil designed to destroy our nation and our faith. But on this Good Friday, we are reminded that the very worst evil can do is not the last word. Through spite and blatant miscarriage of justice, Jesus dies. The agonizing death of the cross, but his last words are, it is finished. The cross was not a tragic accident, but the fulfillment of God's purpose to reconcile men and women to himself through the atoning death of his son. A reality gloriously confirmed by his resurrection from the dead. But we must not rush on to Easter Easter day too quickly. Today we stand at the cross with Mary and the other women heartbroken by loss and suffering. And despite the horror before their eyes, not running away, horror is fresh in our minds, too. And let us not run away or deny it, but stay by the cross. We stay with Jesus, the man of sorrows and acquainted within grief. We share in the grief of Mary and we share in the grief of those who have been so shockingly bereaved. But as Mary was to discover, we know that this is not the end of the story. Jesus' death upon the cross was not in vain. By his death, death has been destroyed. The stone rolled away, and the empty tomb of Jesus assures us that death does not have the last word. And we think of those dear ones who died at Garissa because they were Christians. Let us remember the promise of the Lord Jesus that nothing can separate them and us from his love. Above all, let us resolve today that these deaths and those of other Kenyans who have died previously at the hands of Al-Shabaab will not be in vain. We call on the government to do all in its power to protect the lives of its citizens, and we call on the world community to recognize that this latest outrage is not just an attack on Kenya, but part of an assault on world peace. The time has come for the world to unite as never before in defeating this growing menace. This is my favorite part of his letter right here. He is his conclusion. He says, while governments have a vital role, even more important are the hearts and minds of ordinary Christians, of ordinary people. Let us covenant together before God that we will never, ever surrender our nation or our faith in Christ to those who glory in death and destruction. We will not be intimidated because we know and trust in the power of the cross, God's power to forgive our sins, to turn death into the gate of glory, and to make us his children forever. He says, let us remember Matthew ten thirty-one. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And I thought that's a powerful way for us to remember what we celebrate here freely. Other people will celebrate and it may cost them a lot more than time. And that should be encouragement to us as we really think about the victory of Resurrection Sunday. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that we're able to come here. That we're able to freely worship. That we're able to to sing, to bring tithes and offerings, to remember this day through a time of communion. I pray, Lord, that... You will be with our brothers and sisters, not just in Kenya, but throughout the world uh, as they're they're going to church uh, weekly in areas that are, that are persecuted. They, they go into to places we don't even understand so that they may worship you. And I pray protection over them. I ask for your, your protection, your strength. For those who lost loved ones in Gerasa, I just pray that you will be with those families, that they will know your peace, uh, that they will, they will have an understanding of what's taking place that just is beyond us. I pray, Lord, what we do here today will honor you and that we will not be uh, a stumbling block, that we will not allow the things that we've struggled with this week to keep us from worshiping you and giving you due diligence during this time. Say in your son's name we pray. Amen. To get us started off, and uh, I just want to say that that first verse, to all who are the tired and the heavy laden, you ever been there? Yeah. To all who feel the weight of a heavy spirit. You ever been there? Hope has come. He has won. Death is swallowed up in victory. No matter who you are or what you've been through, you need to know today that victory is just around the corner. Jesus has come. Jesus has won. And, and we started this series three weeks ago. I called it the three weeks of Easter. And I had a lot of people saying, what? That doesn't make sense. There's only two, but I had so much to say. We started a week early. And so we started the three weeks of Easter and I started three weeks ago. I talked about the, the triumphal entry. And, and you know, good things happened during those first few days in Jerusalem. And they were, they were good, but the triumphal entry was not the victory. And then last week, I shared with everyone about the Last Supper, about Jesus being betrayed, the disciples scattering, and the crucifixion, and the death of Christ. I also explained there were good things that were put in place for us by Christ then, the Lord's Supper, which we just celebrated, and, and also the promises that he made of of returning, rising from the dead, and, and being seen. Those Those were good. And I explained, too, that the religious leaders, the crowd, the disciples, even Satan... It seemed to them that the crucifixion, Jesus' death, would appear to actually be a victory for them, not a victory for Jesus and his team of just average men. But today, we come to celebrate that victory was right around the corner. And this morning, we're going to start off in Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to start in kind of an odd place. We're going to start in verse 55, and I'm going to read that verse, and then I'm going to pray. Verse 55 says, many women were there watching from a distance there being at the cross they had followed jesus from galilee to care for his needs among them were mary magdalene mary the mother of james and joseph and the mother of zebedee's sons again i draw attention there because a few weeks back we talked about how the mother of zebedee's sons asked jesus if they could sit at his right and his left hand and he asked them can you drink of this cup and they said yes but they didn't know the cup that he was talking about, that he was referring to, was his crucifixion and his death and his resurrection. And yet here, I think it's all come in full circle for, for this mother to realize, because Jesus said to her, they all will drink of my cup, but not at this time. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for, for the victory of Resurrection Sunday. The, the knowledge you give us from your word that tells us we don't need to be afraid. That tells us we don't need to cower and give in to sin, but that we can rise above, that we can live in accordance to your word. I pray today as as we talk about this victory, as we look at your word, we'll examine ourselves. And then we'll leave here differently than how we've come. I pray that what we do here will honor you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Picking up in verse 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and he placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Verse 61, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver after three days said, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Part of me thinks at this point, these religious leaders forgot what had just happened. The the earthquake, the graves opening, all of these, the darkness, the, the curtain being torn. They forgot all these things. Even a, a Roman guard saying, surely this was the son of God. And yet here, here are the leaders, the religious leaders, the people that should know better. And they're going to Pilate saying, hey, If indeed he rises from the dead, that deception will be worse than the first. What? It makes me wonder what they were thinking. Pilate answers them. He says, take a guard. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven... And going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, "'Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, "'He has risen from the dead.'" And is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. I think it's interesting that both the angel and Jesus tell these ladies, Do not be afraid. And sometimes we often think that the fear they're talking about is, don't be afraid because the tomb is empty or don't be afraid because Jesus isn't here. But I think this is Christ saying to them, don't be afraid of these religious rulers. Don't be afraid of these people anymore. He's letting them know that what he has said about himself is happening and they no longer need to fear. Verse 11, while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. The very thing they were trying to prevent by putting Roman soldiers on guard, they're now telling the Roman soldiers to say that's what happened. That's ironic. If this report gets to the governor, by the way, if you were a Roman soldier and you fell asleep on duty, that was punishable by death. Uh, But they covered that too. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Jesus said to to the women, tell them, do not be afraid. Jesus' disciples were hiding at this point. They didn't know what to do or where to go. They were scared. They didn't even know what to do next. Why is it? And even though they'd been told all of, these, all of these things would happen, yet they forgot. Or perhaps they were, like the Roman soldiers, they were paralyzed with fear. You know, months after the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks in New York and Washington, psychiatrists reported that people who lived thousands of miles away from those areas uh, still were coming to them. Unable to sleep. Paralyzed by fear, if you will. And just like the letter I read at the beginning of service, we live in a world that is shaken by fear, is shaken by, by apprehension and by anxiety from other people who, 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 who want to do evil towards us. What is the answer to this stifling fear? After Jesus had been put to death, his disciples were huddled in fear behind closed doors in a room. They were filled with uncertainty and despair. But suddenly, they find themselves in the presence of their living Lord. And at His first words from Luke twenty four thirty six, their fears disappeared because Jesus said to them, Peace to you. And I don't know where you're at today, but I want to, I want to tell you those same words. Peace to you. Whatever you're struggling with, peace to you. Lay it down. Whatever, whatever you've been fighting, peace to you. Jesus is here. He is alive. The answer to your individual fear is found in a personal faith in the living, glorified Lord. And the answer to collective fear is a corporate faith in the living, glorified Lord. And the answer to national and international tensions and fears in our world is is for our world to know him who is alive forevermore. We do not worship a dead Christ. We worship a risen Christ who has broken the power of sin and death and hell and is alive forevermore. Why then should we fear anything? Don't be reckless, but we don't have to have fear of what this world will bring to us. Knowing this, knowing that we serve a risen Lord, why do we still allow our three greatest enemies, sin, Satan, and death, to corner us and to pressure us into a life of spiritual mediocrity? Why do we allow that? I think because we forget that Christ rose from the dead. We we know that sin and death and Satan have been decisively defeated. And because Christ rose from the dead, we know that there is life after death. And that if we belong to him, we don't need to fear death or hell. Jesus said, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die." That's John 11:25 and 26. He also promised, "If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also you also may be where I am." John 14:3. That's good news. That's victory news right there. How hopeless our lives would be if these words weren't true. Every cemetery, every gravesite would be a mute witness to the futility and despair of human life if these words weren't true. But his words are true because God is true. And by God's power, Jesus rose from the dead and hundreds became witnesses to his resurrection. And they passed the good news of the victory on to Christ to others, just like we should. Look at what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church concerning the validity of Christ's resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 1 through 18, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which received and on, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. We can learn from that right there. The gospel that we received and the gospel that we should be taking our stand on. And by this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of importance... It was of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of, bro- of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believe. Here it is. This is the victory plan laid out so everybody can know it. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? That, that, was, a, that was an argument at the time. The Corinthian church thought that, that people wouldn't raise from the dead when Christ came back. And here he's saying, hey, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And in, in verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that we are then found to be false witnesses about God for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised for if the dead are not raised then Christ has not been raised either and if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile you are still in your sins then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost if only for this life we have hope in Christ we are of all most excuse me we are of all people most to be pitied Here it is, verse 20. This brings the victory plan home. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Oh, what a glorious hope we have because Jesus is alive. He has been raised from the dead. He has risen. He is not here. Three words that would change the world forever. He has risen. The victory plan of Easter is the good news message of Easter. It's the central focus of Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Is your faith futile? No, because he lives. It's as simple as that. If Christ is still dead, then he can't be our savior. For for he was not the son of God and he died like all other men. More than that, heaven's doors are still locked. But if Christ is risen, as the scriptures teach, and as hundreds of witnesses testified. By the way, all of those people who testified back then, none of them recanted their testimony despite death and threats and beatings and things of that nature. They testified that he he raised from the dead. Then we have the ultimate hope of humanity. Eternal life with God, with the God who made us, and the certainty of life beyond the grave. Now that doesn't mean that your life will not be troubled. It doesn't mean it will be easy, Christian. Jesus stated, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus' life was troubled. A quick synopsis of Jesus' life. At age 12, he stayed and taught in a temple. His parents left him for a few days. They didn't quite understand what was going on, but I'm sure they weren't real happy when they realized he was two days by himself at church. It's a good place to be if you're going to be by yourself at 12 years old. But he's teaching in the temple. His parents didn't understand it. As he grew, as he taught, as his ministry started, he was ridiculed and persecuted by the religious leaders. He was weary at times from the demands of preaching and teaching and healing. We know this because many times Scripture tells us that he just went off to be alone and pray. And to be filled by the Father. He was distraught when his friend Lazarus died. He was betrayed by his friend Judas. He was denied by his close friend Peter. He was beaten, mocked, and spat on. He hung on the cross for a crime he didn't commit. But through it all, he stayed faithful. Why? Because he knew victory was just around the corner. So what does Easter mean to you? It should mean everything because Christ has conquered death. And that makes all the difference now and forever. The good news of Easter is that God sent his son to die in our place as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And he was buried. You may be thinking, how is death and burial victory? How is that good news? And the victory and the good news is that he took your place and he took my place and he paid the price to reconcile us to the father. And then on the third day, he was raised from the dead. Jesus conquered death and sin. And he was seen alive by over 500 people at one time. If that's not victory, then what is? This is good news for us. And likewise, the good news is, if we are to live victoriously, we need to do the same thing. We need to die to ourselves by being buried in baptism. Romans 6, 3-5 through 5 says... We need to study God's word and spend time in prayer with him so that we can be seen as a reflection of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. And that is God's victory plan. That's God's plan. That's what he wants from us. Oh yeah, the religious leaders, they were smug while Satan rejoiced and the disciples were huddled together in fear. But they didn't know that victory was just around the corner. You see, Sunday was coming, and like the earthquake that shook the earth that first resurrection Sunday, three words continue to shake the world today. He has risen. And those words change everything. And that is the good news about Easter. That is the victory plan of the resurrection for us and everyone who will hear it. Your job, your job is to share the good news wherever you go. And I don't know what you need to do in your life so that you can go and share the good news. I don't know what addictions you may be fighting. I don't know what baggage you carry around with you sometimes. But I can tell you this, it's time to put them down. Because Jesus carried the burden of the cross that you may lay your burdens at his feet. You don't have to carry them alone. As we come to our response time this morning, here's what you know. The battle has been won. Jesus was victorious because he conquered death and sin once and for all. But just like those who first heard the good, me- the good message, you have a choice to make. The Bible tells us in, in Acts chapter 2, people who responded were cut to the heart and they asked what they must do to be saved. And Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Folks, if you respond to the gospel message like I just shared with you, It's simple, your sins are forgiven and your life is made new in Him. Maybe you need to rededicate yourself to what you were first called to be when you became a Christian. Maybe you've gotten sidetracked on some things. Some baggage has slowed you down from going out and sharing that good news with people. Whatever you need to do, I can't think of a better day to decide that it's time to stop lying for Satan and start living for Jesus than today. As we stand and sing our response song, will you think on these things and know He died for you? It's, it's time for you, it's time for all of us to begin living victoriously for Him. Will you stand and sing with us? Amen. Man, that is good stuff. It's like spiritual aerobics for you guys, isn't it? I said, let's just sing some more after we get done with the service. And they're like, really? You guys, that's awesome. Thank you. Hey, it's been great to celebrate with all of you today, but now it's time to go. It's time to go and tell the world why we celebrate. As you go this week, go living victoriously. Live with the same courage as our brothers and sisters in Kenya who, no matter what the cost, chose to acknowledge Christ before men. We have the victory. Now let's go and live like it. He is risen. He is alive today, and He is alive forevermore. Now go and tell anybody who will listen this week. Have a great week.